Do you understand your credit score? Do you understand the credit scoring system? Do you know what to do if you ever have a, uh, an account go to collection? Well, today we're talking with Sam Sky, and he's going to answer the questions about credit reports, collections, debt settlements, and things that we hope that we never come across, but sometimes as parts of life, they happen. So my name is David Chuddick. I'm a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. If you ever have anything financial related that's keeping you up at night, email me at david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. And we can have a 30-minute consultation to discuss these things. And we'll always do the best that we can to point you in the right direction. And we hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, we talk about the tactics and the strategies that help you to build and maintain wealth. My name is David Chuddick, and I'm a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. Today, I'm excited. We're going to talk about a topic that there's probably a lot of misconceptions about. We're going to talk about credit, credit repair. We're going to talk about what to do to, to, to help your credit score. We're going to talk about what is a credit score and just a lot of those topics that there's probably a lot of misconceptions about. And we have Sam Sky with us today. So, hey, Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, David, and I appreciate you taking the time to bring me out here. Absolutely. Nobody wakes up uh, when they're when they're when they're a young child and says, "I want to do credit repair and credit counseling when I get older." Man, so how how'd you get into this business? Tell tell us a little bit about your history. Uh, that's a a great story, actually. I was working for a company called Atlantis Investment, and uh, there was a breaking apart of it, and I was looking for something new and. I met this one guy who told me he could fix people's credit. I didn't believe him. And sure enough, I had a blemish on my credit and 30 days later it was fixed. And this was back in the late 1980s. And I went and I told my friends about it. And it shocked me that they didn't believe that it was possible because I was telling them, I thought I was very credible. So for sure they would believe me. Um, But they were skeptical as I was, even though I was the one telling them and they knew me. So that was my first taste of it. And uh, then I got with the company and I kind of worked the back end, brokered delinquent debt portfolios, worked with the collection companies, collection law firms as what I call the bad guys, as they would, I'm sure, refer to me as the Benedict Arnold or I'm uh, the bad guy. And right. it's, uh, it, it's definitely a well-respected mutual love, love, laugh, hate relationship. Well, cool, man. So I wanted to really go to the basics first and the, the ABC. So like, what is a credit score? So tell me like everything that, that anybody kind of needs to know about what a credit score is. Why are some credit scores lower than they should be? Like what is a good credit score? And just give me, give me just kind of the, some of that basic credit score information that most people probably don't understand. I got you. Bill Fair and Earl Isaacs were the one that created the Fair Isaac risk model, which was the first scoring formula for banks to determine, or the best measure, I should say, to determine someone's credit worthiness. Certainly, if you owe your grandmother $14,000, she can't report to the credit bureau. She doesn't have a 1,000 different accounts to subscribe to them or anything of that nature. But it's the most measurable way to determine someone's credit worthiness. And they started creating new algorithms where if somebody was late 
a month ago or if something was late five months ago, they would tweak different things. Like if you paid a collection, uh, an old collection, it would renew and hurt your score. Now they've tried to fix it. So if you pay an old collection, it actually doesn't hurt your score. Uh, and it's been a constant evolvement. And the bureaus tried to mimic it and they've done a pretty good job. They call it a vantage score. So a lot of your self pulls with privacy guard, credit check total, um, even Experian.com, they run off uh, that scoring model. But if you apply for a vehicle or you apply for a mortgage, the big loans, they're going to go through Fair Isaac or your FICO score. Okay. So like there's the numbers, the 500, the 720s, the 800. When I say I have good credit, what number begins to be, to be what good credit would be considered? I would say 680 is considered good credit or higher. Uh, the scores originally range from 300 to 930. The two highest scores I've ever seen uh, on a FICO is a 864 and an 861. Um, but if you're 680 or into the 700s, your credit is pretty solid. And why, I know for borrowing, but may, what are some area, other areas of our lives where our credit score is important? I mean, obviously, if I want to get a mortgage, I need to have a certain credit score, but what are some other areas? You know, it can be something as small as an account review inquiry, where insurance companies will find out any bad credit that you've had the last two years so they can raise your insurance premiums. You might... Uh, have a promotional inquiry, which is also a soft pull where the credit card companies get your credit score and they might offer you a higher limit credit card. Um, it could be ranging anywhere from, um, you know, an apartment lease complex to uh, purchasing a vehicle at 0% interest as opposed to paying something a lot higher, like at 6% or 9.9% or even higher than that. So like you said that your grand, if you owed your grandmother some money, she can't report you to a credit bureau. Who, who can report you to a credit bureau? Like what type of a company? You know, between the bureaus, TransUnion, I think, allows 500 subscribers or more. And Experian Equifax is 1,000. So you have to be a relatively decent-sized company. And you have to have uh, term loans. Uh, it can be revolving like a credit card that goes on and on. It could be a 24-month, a 36-month, a 48-month. Um, and it has to be something that they deem as a permissible purpose. Like they won't report rent. One bureau now will Experian if you subscribe, but it's not reported in all three, but your utility bills, things like that. And especially because they fluctuate, uh, they, they're just not deemed a permissible purpose, but whatever the bureaus are posting or allowing. So it's usually just your standard type of loans. So I have an 18 year old. He just turned 18 years old um, a couple of weeks ago. If, if we pulled his credit, would it be zero? Would it be 300? Would it be perfect because he's never missed a payment because he doesn't have any payments? Like, how, how, do, how do you start getting credit? He would probably have a zero score if there's no activity. Your current active credit, if you go to myfico.com, M-Y-F-I-C-O.com, your current active credit is worth two-thirds your score. Your credit history is worth one-third your score. So he would start off with secured cards, would be most ideal. Uh, as he gets a little bit older, I would recommend something called an authorized user card. So it can actually predate, but you don't, if he gets it when he's 20, he doesn't want a card that shows a six-year-old. Like if he, if you added him onto one of your credit cards, it could backdate him from when he was 14 or 13 years old. And it can put up a red flag if he wants to buy a mortgage. He may have to close that out, wait 31 days and rescore him. 
So I would say secured cards uh, and maybe even one installment loan. Like if he wants to buy Dell computers for a thousand bucks and do a two or three year loan, pay the balance down, but keep it open because the open active credit is more valuable than if he pays it off. Sure. So he does have one of our credit cards that he buys gas with and everything else. Does that help his credit and potentially hurt our credit if he bought a bunch of stuff that we couldn't afford to pay for? But is that a good thing for him? It's a great thing for him if you're never late and if you right. have low balances. And gotcha. and obviously the only way, yeah, nothing on his credit report would go onto your credit report regarding that card. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's good stuff because I, th I think there's a lot of just misunderstandings about credit scores and everything in this world. And, and that's honestly, that's what I try to do with the weekly wealth podcast is educate the public out there about some of the financial topics that may, may be misunderstood. So your average person, many people say, I need to get my credit score up. What are some things that somebody can do without even necessarily engaging your services or someone like you just kind of generically to get, get a credit score to be moving upwardly. I would say you definitely want to keep low balances. Most ideally you want to have two or three credit cards for every installment loan. Um, there are four an kinds installment of installment loan is a car loan, an installment loan or correct. Something you okay. pay down. That's not secured by real estate where the balance can't go back up. Okay. That would be your student loans. That would be if you bought a lease or a two years worth of furniture or three years worth of computer equipment, they will normally try to put you on a revolving account instead of installment. So you buy more once you pay down the balances. Um, but you want to have, you want to be conscientious to have two to three revolving accounts for every installment loans, because you can have two people with perfect credit, two people with low balances, and they can't do anything else more for their credit. But one person can have a 730 credit score. The other person can have an 830 credit score. And that's one of the big key uh, differences is to have the right ratio of accounts. Okay. And is your credit score necessarily directly related to your income? In other words, if I'm making a million dollars a year, does that mean that my credit score might be higher or At, is it not necessarily? It has no bearing. It used to have a bearing a long time ago, but after some lawsuits and some changes, it, it is not indicative at all of your credit worthiness or your credit score. So other than, you know, just some of the smarter things, keeping low balances, obviously making sure that you're paying your bills, you know, where do you come into play with, with regard to credit repair? Like when does somebody need to maybe have a conversation with you? Maybe, uh, you know, what, what credit score or, or what position do they need to be to where, you know, it's kind of like they need Sam's help. Well, our clients are referred by people like yourself, certified financial planners, CPAs. Uh, we deal with a lot of also um, uh, agents and business managers and crazy things come up all the time. I have clients, for example, that may have a dispute for $2,500 or so with a dentist. They had to go to a different dentist. They get a bill for 2,500. They don't want to pay them because they didn't do the job right and all of a sudden they have a brand new collection. They may have a second or third home where an electric bill wasn't paid. It went to collection and they had no idea. Uh, there can be things where they co-sign for their kid who goes to college, who doesn't make a payment on the vehicle and the parent isn't aware of it. Uh, mm -hmm. There can be a whole host of different reasons that come into effect uh, for wealthy clients because they tend to have a lot more bills. They can have sometimes 60, 70, 80 bills than someone who has three, four, five, or six. Right. And a complex life means 
you know, unfortunately, sometimes something falls through the cracks, right? It, and it's not that you didn't want to pay your bill or couldn't pay your bill. Sometimes if you have several properties, you know, one may just not get paid and it's not right, but it happens. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, let's say, let's talk about that example. Somebody has a, a $2,500 dental bill and it's not that they can't afford to pay the bill or may, may, maybe they can't, uh, it may be irrelevant, but they, the, the dental work was just not done properly. The easy thing to say is, well, I mean, I'm just not paying that. He, the guy didn't do the job right. He didn't fix my teeth the right way. I'm not paying it. And um, because I shouldn't have to, because he didn't do the job right. What's your thought process kind of in that situation where legitimately the work was not done right? Like, how do you handle that in a, in a way that doesn't spite yourself because you just don't want to pay the guy or, or the gal, the, the, the dentist? Um, but what's the best way to handle that in a way that makes sense and, and doesn't have ne- negative consequences? Sure. In that type of situation, we prepare an affidavit, a sworn statement. It's not under penalty of perjury. It's to the best of their recollection. Uh, We also will file a complaint, not just against the consumer collection license, uh, but even also uh, with the dental board against Mm -hmm. the dentist. But we make it very, very polite and nice where our complaint is subject to withdrawal so long as they permanently remove the collection off their credit report. We try to keep everything peaceful where the collection company doesn't have to do two, three, four hours of a response, where the dentist doesn't have to do a two or three, four hour response to the state board, and they can just take it off their credit report and everybody's happy. In that type of situation, that would be the direction that typically we would take. But like, what does it mean when you hear all the time, like I got sent to collections or, or, You'll, you'll be threatened to get sent to collections. Like, what does that mean? Like who, who sends you to collections? What is the quote air quote collections? You know, how, do, how does that work? You know, it, it's a great question. And collection companies really come in two facets. Uh, there's a small percentage that actually purchase the debt when sometimes it's a fourth or fifth party collector where the in-house creditor couldn't collect, the in-house collector couldn't collect, the third party collector couldn't collect. Sometimes they sell the debt. But most of the time, the debt is transferred or signed for a six-month, nine-month, sometimes in some cases a three-month period where the collector can go ahead and pursue collection efforts and they get a percentage of what they receive. If they don't collect, it goes back to the creditor. And the creditor can then at that point either sell the debt, they could take the client to court, or most of the time they just walk away and don't pursue anything after that. And they leave it on the credit report as leverage. But- all of that time and all that work by the different parties that all costs money, right? And time. And so it seems like nobody wins, right? Every, unless the debt is collected, everybody's spending time and money and resources. And, and it seems like a, a pretty, pretty no win situation just to, to sit there or, or am I missing something on that? No, you're absolutely right. And the key to leveraging yourself, even when we do debt settlement is to have a dispute as the total amount of money is owed. Uh, They don't want to hear about a dispute. They don't want to settle in those type of instances. But you really protect yourself in case of a lawsuit to have uh, a dispute to the total amount of money owed before the inception of the lawsuit. So they can't just go in and get a summary judgment. Two hours, you had no defense, you had no trial, you couldn't question any billing. So that's a huge key factor. And then depending on if it's a credit card, if there were any fraud charges, for example, you know, we get debt settled in one-time lump sum payments, super fast, lowball offers, but we don't offer a two to five-year repayment plan, which most people never 
never finish and their credit stays bad the entire two to five years. They're charged exorbitant fees. You know, we forward all offers 60% off or greater and they can choose which one they accept. And then we invoice them a percentage of the savings after they accept the offer. And that way they can pick and choose. And we have some people where I recommend not to take the offer, but these people are so wealthy. They go, listen, I'll pay the extra percentage. I don't care if it's conditional to removing off my credit report. Let's get my credit back fast. And then there are some people, we get them down to 20% and they want 15%. And I go, this collector is probably not going to go any lower. And the, the offer is only good for 30 days. And they say, well, I'll wait. And I say, okay. So, you know, the, the customer is in charge. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it's really interesting to see the different ways to solve some of these problems. And one of my kind of main philosophies is that when as individuals, we don't know what we don't know. So it's always a good idea to work with a, with an expert who has the knowledge to help you with specific problems. So as a CFP, I have very general uh, financial planning knowledge and I have very specific uh, expertise in some areas. I don't know much about credit scores, credit reports, more than just the bare, bare basics. So having a client engage someone like yourself, um, and I'm sure you don't work for free and that's okay, but, but using you as an expert can put somebody in a tremendously better position than just Googling, you know, debt settlement repair, credit repair, because you can Google anything, but Google does not always have, um, have the right answer for sure. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's look at just kind of a couple questions that the average person might, um, might have about kind of credit and, and debt management. So let's say you have a, I don't know, a 22 year old just graduated college. Um, they need a car and you either are in a position where you don't want to, or you can't purchase a car for them with cash. They don't have cash. They probably can't get a car loan. Talk to me about why you may want to or not want to co-sign for a loan. And if, if there are any better options to helping your, your, your child get a car. No, I'm really glad you came back to that question because I certainly wasn't thorough on it enough before. So I thank you. If you're going to co-sign for someone that you really care about, family member, best friend, whoever, the ideal situation to protect your credit and also to get paid back more promptly is to have the person that you co-sign for pay you back each month and you pay the bill. That way you're never late. If you leave it in the other person's hands to pay the bill and they're embarrassed, they're short on money, and then all of a sudden there's a 30-day later, even a 60-day late, many times these creditors won't pick up the phone and call the co-guarantor on the account, and all of a sudden your credit is dropped 60, 80, 90, 100 points, and you come across a great deal on something and you get turned down, it becomes a disaster and a lot of bitter feelings. So if, if it's you and, and your child on a loan, does that missed payment affect both of you equally or does it affect one more than the other? Depends on the algorithm and how many accounts you have and that's open. Okay. It's going to be relatively close. It'll typically drop you 30, 40, 50 or 60 points. Okay. But see, that's just great. Now, now the method that you're describing is a little bit more work for the parents because they have to make the payment and collect from the child. But in the event that the child doesn't make the payment, the parent sucks it up, makes the payment, um, and, and, and the credit reports don't get hurt. So that right there could be incredibly, incredibly valuable um, when dealing with, um, dealing with car loans. 
What about Can medical I, debt? Go, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, yeah. I want to add one last thing. It also makes the child more accountable. I don't yep. want to say the, yep. the child, the, the young adult more accountable because they know they can't hide from it. So it brings mm -hmm. the discussion up even closer. If there has to be new budgeting uh, parameters or discussions, uh, it, it, there's also a win on the back end. As far as medical debt. Oh boy, this is a good one. Yeah, let's let's hit medical debt because that's a huge one now. Um, you know, everybody complains about medical bills and 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 um, how expensive they are. So it's going to be really interesting to hear you, some of your perspective on this. You know, listen, I certainly appreciate that. And there's a few aspects I'm going to get into. Um, there's uh, uh, certainly I won't use names or anything like that. Uh, well-off individual, his parents needed assisted living assistance, and they didn't have insurance. And he ran up over $400,000 on his credit yeah, card. And that can happen. That's a lot. Absolutely. And it's definitely not the way to go. We can settle that super cheap, of course, afterwards, but it destroys his credit. If there's any other option or any other way to go, you know, even if there's a line of credit on some equity in a home or another way, I wouldn't max out the credit cards because your higher balances bring down your score even before you go to collection or charge off or things like that. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is how doctors get paid from the insurance companies. Doctors. Okay. So how do doctors get paid from the insurance? Doctors get be paid anywhere from 20 to 32 cents on the dollar for what they bill. And they're given parameters. If now, explain have, to me why why do they bill a hundred dollars when they're only expecting to get twenty to thirty dollars of that? It would seem. Why don't they just bill twenty to thirty dollars? Because the insurance companies look like a hero for covering all those huge expenses. Gotcha. And unfortunately, seventy percent of every dollar that goes towards medical insurance are administrative costs. Goes for their. Uh, executive getaways, their bonuses, their salaries, administrative staff. It, it's insane how, how poorly and inefficiently it's run. And there's a whole sector that's just making a fortune on the insurance. Now at 20 to 32 cents on the dollar, if somebody goes in to see their doctor and the doctor says, hey, listen, you know, there's a $200 office visit and they pay $200, they're only getting between $40 to $60 from the insurance company for that one person. Obviously, excluding, you know, taking your blood pressure, taking your temperature, the small little things that they increase the fees are. Um, but they laugh all the way to the bank. And if you go and talk to your doctor privately, not embarrassing him, not calling him out, I say, listen, I know how the insurance game works. I know you're only getting 40 to $60. Could you please go up after our visit and reduce it down to $50 for the office visit? I'm a cash payer. I would take that as a personal favor. The doctor, 95 plus percent of the time, will go up to the front and say, hey, listen, change the bill. This is going to be a $50 uh, office visit. And they'll make note of it and nothing else is said. And they go about their business when they realize that you know what the game is, that you know what the deal is. They don't want to look bad. They don't want you going on social media. They don't want you bad talking them. And you keep a really good rapport. And can I add one small little story before I got, get into some other comparisons? Absolutely. There was a time where I didn't have health insurance and I went and I saw, uh, I had a hernia and I asked the doctor, his name was Dr. Black, great guy, did a beautiful surgery. And I said, a no, beautiful much, hernia surgery. Like, you know, well, let me I tell mean, you, it was mesh. What could be better? I, I got that propofol. I'm telling you, I was at work that same day. I felt like Superman. That's the Michael Jackson drug. Wow. Um, only time okay. I've ever had it, but it was
it, it was incredible. It was insane. And so, um, you know, I talked to him, he said $6,000. I said, is that what you bill the insurance company? I said, great. I said, all right, perfect. So I offered my doctor $1,200 after going back and forth. And he knew that I knew the whole game. And he came back and he said, let's do 1800. I said, let's do 1400. He said, $1,600 and not a penny less. I said, absolutely. I gave him $1,600 cash. It included my post-surgery office visit as well. And I saved a ton of money. That's perfect. And he, did he, did he come out better than he would have, if you would have had insurance? He came out a tiny bit better. Okay. But, yeah. but it, it was the same as any other procedure. You know, he was still getting the cash. I'm sure not reporting it. So he came out a little bit better, uh, but not a whole lot. But if he would have charged you full price, there's always a chance you don't pay it, that he has to pay to send you to collections and, and spend man hours for his staff to call you and collect money that he may never collect. So I think it worked out, you know, cash in hand is never a bad thing for him. And, and you got your surgery done for, for a discounted rate. So I think that's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. So what, what about like when, when people have, you know, unplanned emergency type medical procedures and, and you run up thousands and thousands, obviously if you're in a car accident, you don't have the ability to negotiate uh, before the fact. So now you have thousands of, of medical debt. I mean, it, it, can that be negotiated afterwards? Can someone like you help? Can somebody negotiate on their own? Medical debt is the easiest debt in the world to resolve if you know what you're doing. And there's four kinds of debt. There's secured and unsecured, and there's something called liquidated and unliquidated. Liquidated by definition means uh, that everything within the four corners of the agreement was readily calculable. Unliquidated debt could be fees that weren't in the contract. You could have you know, a whole host of things, but where it really falls into medical debt also is there was no meeting of the minds. You didn't know how much the x-ray was gonna cost. Mm-hmm. You didn't know how much the pill was gonna be. If you got bit by a snake and they go to give you a shot in the leg to save your life and that shot in the leg destroys the uh, poisonous venom that was injected into your leg. And the hospital charges you $13,000 for that shot in the leg. But yet another hospital, another county charges you $3,000 down south. And maybe another hospital charges you $30,000 for that shot in the leg. Now, if they send you a bill for $13,000, do you owe $13,000? And if you think you do, what if they charge you $130,000 or a million dollars for the shot? Do you think you owe that amount of money just because they bill it to you? So you how much have, do you owe? That's the million-dollar question, right? Ah, or the $13,000 question? Well, listen, you're absolutely right on both counts, and that is the question. And not only do you factor in, okay, you found it somewhere else for 3000 but if they're only getting 20% of what Medicare or Medicaid is billed, then all of a sudden it's a $600 shot in the leg instead of a $13,000 shot in the leg. Mm-hmm. Now there's a big difference. Now, if you know how to fight the fight and you know how to do it the right way, you can settle your medical debt for super, super ridiculous small amounts of money. I mean, sometimes two cents on the dollar, four cents on the dollar, five cents on the dollar, sometimes less than two cents, depending on how egregious everything is. You'd be amazed. And you have to wait till the bills come in because when you go to the hospital, they might send you a bill from the emergency room. Then they might send you a bill from the pulmonary section and radiology for the x-rays. And it's a little sneaky how they do things. And 
you know, you, uh, you just have to be on top of it, but nobody should be frightened by medical bills and they certainly should be able to, uh, you know, hire a professional or do it themselves if they want to do some in-depth research to save a lot, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, this is really exciting because when you look at financial health, a lot of people kind of, they, they like to talk about the sexy, uh, you know, hey, should I invest, invest in cryptocurrencies now and Bitcoin and, 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 and should I buy Amazon and, and where would you invest my money? And all of that, don't get me wrong, is very, very important. And our firm has a very strong process on how we handle that. But sometimes getting your credit score under control can, can mean equal amounts of money. Maybe if it's in getting a better interest rate on your, on your mortgage or being able to get a mortgage or, or getting something off your, your, your credit report or settling some debt that shouldn't be there. So, so this is not the sexiest financial planning topic, but it's, it's incredibly important. And I think very misunderstood in the world, because like I said, I have, a very good financial background. There's a lot about credit score repair and, and collections that I just frankly don't um, don't understand. And, and I'm glad there are people like you out there that can help um, help me with this. So, kind of closing it out. If, if you were to talk to the average person, like what are one or two or three things that, without even engaging in your services? everybody can kind of do just to, to keep them, their credit healthy, however we wanted to define healthy. I'll tell you, there's a couple of really good little tricks. There's the authorized user, where if you can piggyback on mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, grandma's credit card with low balances and do two of those. You don't want to stack too many because uh, mortgage underwriters will allow two typically. If there's more than that, they'll make you close them all out wait 30 days and we score you. There's also something called a primary trade line, which is 100% legal. And it's a great little tactic to give you very powerful credit. And we can do another episode on how to get high limit credit cards because I've got a great strategy for that. But this next thing has a risk and benefit. It's called a primary trade line. If your Uncle Joe has an $80,000 Jaguar and he only owes $10,000 on it, It's not like a credit card where you can be added as an authorized user, but you can go into the bank. Certainly the person sitting behind the desk is not qualified to do this. You need to be friends with the bank president of a community bank or a a large branch vice president, and they will add you on and it'll backdate four years from when your uncle Joe got that Jaguar. You'll have an $80,000 Jaguar that's showing you only owe $10,000 auto populate onto your credit board. When you go to purchase your next vehicle or borrow a loan, the banks look at that and they are very eager to lend you money. Now, it's here's where the risk comes in. If Uncle Joe dies, you're not an authorized user. You're on the loan. Not only are you not entitled to the vehicle, but you owe the $10,000. You have no, gotcha. no, no security in the situation, and you're, it's a financial loss. Now, I have a life insurance license. I can help you buy a policy on Uncle Joe's life for $10,000, and then we're good to go. So look at that. We just found two solutions. That is a brilliant, brilliant thing. That's awesome. Yep. Now, Uncle Joe would have to be healthy enough to qualify, but we could certainly <laughs> potentially make that happen. And Uncle Joe Great. would have to know about it as well. So so that's pretty cool. But that honestly, that's kind of a, a, a good example of how sometimes the average person doesn't know what they don't know. So we just came up with two solutions. Beautiful. So give me an example of like 
a situation where a client probably should contact you or someone like you and have a conversation with you? When is it kind of to that point where I probably shouldn't handle this on my own? If you have more than $15,000 in debt that needs to be settled or that you can no longer pay, but you'll be able to do lump sum small settlements, or if you've got damages on your credit report for all kinds of different reasons, uh, lates, charge-offs, collections, you may not have returned a Comcast cable box and they put a $200 collection on your credit report and you may claim that you've returned it. You may have had problems with Sprint where you didn't receive you know, phone reception you know, and you switched plans and they promised, and your new carrier promised to pay off your old contract and they never did. There could be a conglomerate of things, but if you have a high value, a high regard for your credit, if it's one or two things that you can handle, by all means, you don't need us. But if you're very, very serious about your credit and debt, then you definitely want to hire some serious expert to know what they're doing. Well, dude, well, tell me you're the serious expert. How would somebody find you? And if they wanted to have a conversation with you just to say, hey, you know, this is what I have going on. What do you think? How, how, would, that, how would that process work? Uh, they can go to creditcrb.com. I appreciate the plug and call me at 855-291-7557 and book an appointment or someone here will email them my Calendly and they can book an appointment that way. Or they can, if they want to learn a little bit about the debt settlement, they can go to one of our landing pages, which is highcreditnodebt.com and they can find me that way as well. And uh, they can always email me at office at creditcrb.com. Perfect. And we'll get all of that in the show notes. And, and I would just, you know, any, anybody has any questions, it's always good to talk with someone who, who's in that business. So if you have any questions about your credit score, about some collections, about maybe a ding on there, about some debt settlement, I mean, why not just have a conversation? Sam's not... Um, <clears throat> not going to, uh, you know, charge an exorbitant fee for having a conversation. And, and I'm sure if he doesn't think he can help you, he'll, he'll certainly say so. And, um, but just find out from an expert what's possible. We live in the Google age where everybody thinks I can Google anything and be an expert. And oftentimes that just poses, um, poses problems and um, just doesn't get the solution. So Sam, I just, I really appreciate your time. This was really interesting uh, to me. Uh, some things I learned a lot. There's some things that I didn't know. And and we would certainly love to um, definitely have you on, on the episode again and talk about some of those uh, higher limit uh, uh, credit cards and, and how they can help as well. David, you are awesome. And thank you so much for having me out here. And I'm sure your audience appreciates the way you take the time and energy to bring the experts to help them. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.